Well, today we're going to continue our series a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't make apologies. I probably shouldn't. I worry that it's going to be a little bit long. But again, I just give you full permission. If you need to use the restroom, go use the restroom. If you need to keep marching to your car, I won't hold that against you either. You won't get stink eye from me. But for those of you that see this as a rainy Sabbath afternoon and you're into fasting, stay by. And we're going to do our best to get through this. This is a picture of Dr. Albert Moeller, I believe, if I'm saying his name correctly. He's a theologian and ordained Baptist minister who currently serves as the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the flagship school for the Southern Baptist Convention. He's one of the largest seminaries in the world for them. And he has spoken up in both Time Magazine and Christianity Today, and they have called him one of the leading American evangelicals. His stories have been carried in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the Washington Post, and the list goes on. He's made appearances on Dateline and Good Morning America and Today Show. You get the idea. But he wrote this article. My secretary, Judith, sent this to me. I just praise the Lord for Judith. She does so much to keep us organized. She's an unsung hero in this church and a godly woman, a woman of faith. So she sent me this article, and I was reading through it, and I wanted to share it with you. The date that this was written, or at least when it came out, is March 4 of this year, so just a little over a month ago. And the title there says, Pivoting to Surrender, a Warning for All Christians. And I just want to read you excerpts from this article, and if you take a picture of that, you can easily Google that and pull up and read the whole thing. But in the article, he says here, your vocabulary word for the day is pivot. According to the Oxford Languages Dictionary, pivot can be used as a noun meaning the central point, pin, or shaft on which a mechanism turns or oscillates. As a verb, pivot means to turn, as if on a pivot. It means to change direction. That turns out to be important. In common usage, a pivot can usually indicate a major and fundamental change. And then he goes on, he says that's exactly what's taken place with regard to one of the nation's largest adoption and foster care ministries. What's he talking about? Just consider this two-word phrase in a breaking religious news service article, Bethany pivoted. This is exactly what the organization did. Bethany refers to the Bethany Christian Services, BCS which had been one of the nation's largest evangelical agencies involved in adoption and foster care. The pivot points to their policies regarding LGBTQ issues. Bethany Christian Services recently announced that it would now place children in same-sex households and other families identified as LGBTQ. This can only be described, he continues to write, as a watershed pivot, a pivot away from orthodox biblical Christianity and towards the aims of the sexual revolution and its new morality. Bethany Christian Services, at least in official policy, defined marriage in biblical terms. The agency placed children only in qualified Christian homes. And Bethany believed that children deserved a loving home environment marked by a conventional marriage union between one man and one woman. 
In fact, in 2007, they strengthened their language. But in recent years, in cities like Philadelphia or states like the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, charities were being under considerable pressure for refusing to serve the LGBTQ community, that they would no longer be allowed to continue as a ministry was the threat. As soon as same-sex marriage was legally approved in Massachusetts, the state took action to coerce that state's largest adoption foster care agency, Catholic Charities, simply because the Catholic Charity refused to contradict Catholic teaching. And so Catholic Charities made the choice to remain Catholic in conviction, good for them, and Massachusetts made the choice to serve the LGBTQ demands even at the expense of losing an historic child care provider. So in the case of Bethany Christian Services, they decide to make a national change of their policy. Ruth Graham of the New York Times reported that under the new policy, the agency will begin to provide services to LGBTQ parents nationwide, effective immediately. And the case of the Catholic Charities in Philadelphia is set to hit the Supreme Court in just the next few months, in which it is expected that they will rule in favor of the Catholic Charities' right to remain Catholic in their beliefs. But sadly, Bethany Christian Services went ahead and changed their policies. They surrendered even before the battle begun. They chose to pivot, if you will. Moeller continues in his article, we can't miss this. This is a textbook case of failure to lead and to maintain conviction. Bethany hired a polling firm to decide how much latitude they really had to pivot. They had the polling data to help them decide whether or not this would be acceptable, whether or not this would be okay. And so rather than basing it on scripture and a thus saith the Lord, we're going to poll and say, what do you all think? And they buckled under the pressure. And try as they may to walk the tightrope, There is no middle ground between the moral revolution and biblical orthodoxy. Christians must understand this. Pressure is mounting on all fronts, he writes, and will confront every single Christian institution, school, congregation, denomination, and ministry, period, he says. Every Christian and every Christian ministry will come to a reckoning. We must all decide where we will stand We will pivot or we will hold fast to faithfulness and the hope of the gospel. And then I love this line as he closes out his article here. He says, let me be clear as to where I and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary stand. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The demand to pivot will undoubtedly come, but will we surrender? Before the fight? Will we pivot? Will we buckle? No, he says, we will see the fight through all the way to the end. And if we have to leave the buildings to the bats, you realize the seminary, the largest Southern Baptist seminary in the world, there's plenty of buildings, there's plenty of campus, right? There's plenty of overhead. He says, we We'll leave the buildings to the bats if that's the case, so be it. We will shut it all down before we surrender our commitment to Christ, to the gospel, and to the unfailing truth of God's word. To that I say amen and amen. 
He says, by God's grace, that's where we stand today. And we are about to find out, he says, which institutions, which schools, which churches, and which denominations will stand and who will pivot and abandon the faith. I read through that article and I say, wow, that's leadership. Somebody who's willing to stand up and stand out and to lead. Not to lead by polling numbers. I mean, that's what Aaron did, right? We have Moses and we have Aaron. Moses said, this is what God says we should do. And they did it. Aaron said, well, what do y'all want to do? Let's take a poll. Well, more people want an idol than want to worship the true God. And so we'll just, or we'll worship him in our own way. You know, we can couch it however we want. And so now we have this, all of a sudden out pops a calf. Friends, true leaders, there's a place for polling, but true leaders don't poll when it's a moral issue. They say simply based on God's word, this is where we stand, period. I better move on. So we've been going through this series entitled Final Events. We've dealt with some pretty heavy topics, and today is no different. We're dealing with another heavy topic. We're dealing with the death decree. Isn't this a cozy topic? Welcome to church. I've had a rough week got laid off, had all these other things happen in my life, and I go to church, and lo and behold, the pastor's talking about the death decree. I'm sorry. I do wish we could talk about a cozier topic today, a more feel-good topic, but I pray that today's message will not be about doom and gloom, but about the grace of God, and that God will be lifted up, and in a nutshell, when the death decree comes down to us, that we will not pivot, that we will not fold, And as the social pressures mount and the choice comes to this church or our school or our place of business or our home, I pray that we will stand for truth. That we will stand alone, as the little kid song says, stand alone on the word of God. And so today, in this final event series, we're looking at part seven. And we've entitled it Death Decree, God's Test or Satan's desperation. I'm going to try and do a quick little recap because it's been a little while since we've been talking about some of these things. The first message, and you're welcome to go back and find them. They're on YouTube and they're on our church website archive there as well. Many of these are on Audioverse, so there's plenty of places to listen to them if, if you're so inclined. But the End Time Prophetic Catalyst, and in that one you may remember that we looked at all of these things that are pushing the needle closer and closer and closer to a National Sunday Law. And when that National Sunday Law breaks, these dominoes, if you will, are going to fall very rapidly. So it's not as if we have all this time to figure things out. As things unfold, they're going to unfold very quickly, and it's going to be under great amounts of pressure that we'll be left to make some of these choices unless we make them in advance which I would lobby that we do as much as possible by God's grace so we can be decided on where we are. The second message, we talked about the abomination of desolation. And that, in a nutshell, we looked through a lot of scriptures, but how there's three applications to that. We have the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD by pagan Roman Empire. The second application is the union of church and state from 538 to 1798. And the end-time application of this abomination of desolation is the National Sunday Law. I'll let you go back and listen to that if you have more questions about that. We looked at the four stages of the Sunday law. In phase one, Sunday is enforced day of rest. 
but we're encouraged to do missionary labor. Phase two, we can honor the Sabbath, but you must honor Sunday. This is where it's mandated. And this is where we will receive the mark of the beast if we bow down to what the state says we must do and honor a day that's not the Sabbath. Whoever worships the beast, and they're saying you have to worship the beast, and this is where we have to say, no, I have to stand on God's word. That's phase two. Phase three, forbidding to worship on Sabbath. That eventually comes, and then eventually enforced by the death decree, and we're gonna expound on that a little bit more today. Then the New World Order, we talked briefly about that. The true New World Order is when Protestantism and Catholicism or the papacy and spiritualism all unite, and eventually it's a national Sunday law, but then you have all, it goes to all the kings of the earth, and eventually it's a universal Sunday law, and that, in fact, is going to be a major New World Order. And so we took some time to look at that. Then we looked at the little time of trouble, We talked about, let's see, in this little time of trouble, you have forced Sunday worship, you have a call to leave the cities, the mark of the beast is received, cannot buy or sell, and death decree, Satan counterfeits, second advent is where I put it. Some people put it on the other side, and and that's okay. Latter rain and loud cry, singing of 144,000, blind out of sin, the judgment of the living. Then you have the close of probation, then you have Jacob's time of trouble, seven last plagues, saints suffered, but do not perish during the plagues. Worldwide devastation by Satan and Armageddon, and then the second coming. And so we unpacked that one a little bit more as well, and you can go back and revisit. Last time we were together, it was the latter rain and the loud cry. We illustrated the latter rain as being clipped in, if you will, to God. And I use the illustration of these climbers that do free solo climbs, and there's a whole list of them. In fact, I could have put that slide in here, and there are pictures of free solo climbers that are no more. Why? Because somewhere along the way they fell. They were not clipped in and they ended up falling to their death. In the end of time, the latter rain, that Holy Spirit is what clips us in and without that Holy Spirit, we will be lost. We also looked at this timeline that the church has played the harlot and it's a call for repentance and true heart conversion and that Jesus is in his heavenly sanctuary blotting out the sins of his people. And we have the outpouring of the latter rain comes from the heavenly sanctuary. And so it's times of refreshing that come. And then we have the close of probation, the second coming of Jesus. But it's the outpouring of that latter rain that enable the midnight cry, if you will, and also enables the loud cry of Revelation 18 for this message to go forth with greater power and clarity and might than it ever has before. And in order for that to happen, we need a greater outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. We need the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. We need to be totally surrendered to Him fully and completely. And when that takes place, this message will go like wildfire around the globe. And that at the same time, you have this national Sunday law starting to break, and that gives more impetus to our message along with this latter rain and loud cry that it all culminates in a very marked way. And then it ends with the ripening of the harvest in Revelation 14. And as soon as the harvest is ripe, we talked about how a farmer doesn't wait because it will rot on the vine or the wheat will rot in the field, whatever the case. As soon as it is ripe, it says, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is, there it is, ripe. And so we do have a special message 
for this special time in this time in earth's history. We want to be ready when Jesus comes. I also mentioned that the loud cry is two things. It's a proclamation, but it's also a demonstration of the righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. We need both. If we just have a proclamation, but our lives are not a demonstration, it's not going to work. We need the Holy Spirit to change us so that we can change the world. I shared this quote already in regards to that. It's from Christ's Object Lesson, starting on page 68. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. And she writes, This fruit can never perish, but will produce after its kind a harvest unto eternal life. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put his sickle, because the harvest is come. Christ is waiting. And that's the part that breaks my heart. Christ is waiting. We thought we were waiting. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. It's the privilege of every Christian not only to look for but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quoting 2 Peter 3.12. Were all who professed his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. And what's it all hinging upon? If all who profess his name were bearing fruit to his glory. Help us, Lord. And so today's peace is the death decree and then we'll have a few more here to wrap this series up. Jacob's time of trouble will be next time. And then the one I'm really looking forward to, God's people delivered. And then the one we're all looking forward to after that, the second coming. So hang in there. That's where we're headed. And so let's continue on in this idea of the death decree. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. We've looked at this before. But we're going to look at it now a little bit more fine-tuned in the lens of this death decree. Because it's here in Revelation 13 that really the death decree is spoken of in more plain language than anywhere else in Scripture, I believe. This is a description of the second beast in Revelation, which of course is Protestant America. And we have established that in other talks before, but we're not going to take the time to do that this morning. But it says in verse 11 of Revelation 13, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. We talked about this before. The two horns represent civil and religious liberty. So America starts off as a Christian-like nation. It is like Christ, like a lamb, but then it speaks like a dragon. And when he speaks as a dragon, this is when the Sunday law takes place. Because how does a nation speak? Through its laws, we talked about that. And remember that the dragon gave his power, seat, and authority to the first beast of Revelation 13. The first beast of Revelation 13 has a mouth of a lion, which is Babylon. And you recall the first beast had a mouth speaking great things for 1,260 years. And so again, when the second beast speaks like the first beast does, we have seen how this will be the Sunday law. Let's keep going. Verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. 
Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So Protestant America will cause everyone to worship the first beast, perform great signs or miracles, even making fire come down from heaven and deceiving those on the earth. Now the fire coming down out of heaven in the sight of men is certainly done to convince the onlooking world, I believe, that God is on the side of apostate Protestant power. And there are various ideas of how this might be manifested. It may intentionally resemble the tongues of fire seen in Acts 2 that represent the role of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It may be Also intentionally there to resemble much like it was when Elijah called down fire from heaven and his sacrifice and altar was consumed. It may also, I believe, its it's ultimate description or depiction is that when fire comes down from heaven, it's representing Satan impersonating Christ. I mean, fire often represents Christ as seeing the burning bush and the fiery pillar of the cloud in the wilderness when God inhabited the Old Testament sanctuary. So I think it makes sense to believe that the ultimate fulfillment of this is that fire will come down from heaven in the sight of men claiming that Satan, or Satan will personate Christ, meaning he will try to deceive the whole world. And so let's continue now with our verses. Going back and reading verse 14 again, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, or miracles it might say in your translation, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image That's a likeness of, that's Sunday sacredness to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image. Worship on Sunday of the beast, of the papacy to be, what does it say? Killed. Friends, that right there is the death decree. We saw in part three of this series that the death decree is phase four of this Sunday law. And so the United States of America, Protestant America, is the one who is granted power to give breath or life to the image of the beast. And the image is, represents that first beast, which we know is the papacy. It's the union of church and state. And then we see this mark of the beast in verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may be able to sell, buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So the mark of the beast. This is enforced Sunday worship. And a form of enforced Sunday worship starts even in stage two of the four phases of the Sunday law. But by the time we get to phase four, we have not just fines and imprisonment and all these other things. We actually have a death decree that we just read about here in verse 15. That he would cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And while this is the most direct mention of the death decree, it's not the only mention of the death decree. We're just going to put it up on our board here of end time death decree mentions in scripture. So there you have Revelation 13, 15. Whoever shall not worship shall be killed. The next one I want to look at is Revelation 17. Revelation 17 is perhaps one of the most complicated chapters in Revelation. It's a culmination of many things. But in a whirlwind, we're going to try to show again, and some of this is review, 
how we see the death decree there in chapter 17 as well. I put many of these verses on the screen for you. It says, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Again, this is review, so we're going to be going a little bit faster here. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. And when do they marvel? When the Sunday law is passed. Whose names are not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was, there it is again, and is not and yet is. So what we see here is a beast who was, who is not, and yet is, or some of your versions say, and will ascend. Past, present, and future. And the world will marvel. This seems to be a direct link to Revelation 13, 3 that we just read about one of the heads being mortally wounded, but that his wound would be healed and the world would marvel and follow the beast. And so we see this scarlet beast in Revelation 17 is the same as the first beast in Revelation 13. But we're going to continue here, and we have the was, the Roman Catholic Church, state power. We looked at this in another presentation, so I'm going fast. 538 to 1798. We have the is not, which is our present period of time where the Roman Catholic Church was taken over by birth year in 1798 until we don't know when. So he is in power, but not any way in the same way, but he will yet ascend, if you will. And that's when the papacy and the United States unite, and eventually the worlds unite with the papacy, and you have this Sunday law. So continuing in Revelation 17, verse 9 and 10, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, there are also seven kings. So seven heads, seven mountains, seven kings, all the same thing. Seven kingdoms that have supported the false religion of Babylon throughout history. It says here five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. We put this up on the board last time. The five that have fallen, in my opinion, are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, and Papal Rome. Then one is, that's the United States, And then the one that has not yet come or that will ascend is when the papacy and the world unites at the end. And it says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom, singular, as yet. Here these ten horns are not necessarily specific political powers, but ten represents universal. It's the world coming together to form a, not kingdoms, but kingdom. And they're uniting with this beast at the end. And for what purpose? We have the five fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. No kingdom as of yet. It says, but they receive authority. This is the kingdoms of the world, uniting with the papacy at the end. For one hour as kings with the beast. Now some people try and reason one hour. Exactly how much time is it and so on and so forth. I don't know if that's safe to do as much as to say it's going to be a short period of time. Otherwise, no one would survive. And it says, these are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb. There it is. This is the one world government where the kings of the earth unite with the papacy. This is the new world order. And when they make war with the lamb, I believe here again is the death decree. So we should put it on our chart, Revelation 17, 14. Make war with the lamb, with God's people. But I think we need to recognize and flesh out a little bit more that the death decree is also a reaction to something. Because Satan would love for every Christian to be dead right now. Isn't it true? 
Satan always seeks our destruction, but there is something that ramps up his efforts. There is something that so infuriates him that he responds in this way. And so what is the devil reacting to? Revelation 18 shows us that as a reaction to the loud cry message. And what empowers the loud cry message? To be effective, it's the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about last time in part six. It's the latter rain, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon God's people that empowers this loud cry message to go to the entire globe. And when it goes, it's unstoppable and it's marked with such intensity and it's so successful that the devil now is doing everything in his power to snuff it out. We read about it now in Revelation chapter 18. Verse 1, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So the message comes from heaven. It has great power and great authority. The earth is illuminated with his glory, his message, his character. It's not just a proclamation, it's a demonstration and the message is given to God's covenant people who are obedient. Why? Because they have the character of God. And it says in verse 2, and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place for demons, or of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Friends, when this loud cried message goes around the world, that Babylon, the papacy, is fallen, is fallen, that will so infuriate the papacy. You know, it happens to me about every six months. Somebody sends me a text or an email that somebody, it comes in various forms, but somehow the, the Pope got a hold of the great controversy. He doesn't like what's in it. And so now there's a lawsuit against the general conference. Have you seen that? And I have to respond back and say, no, that's not the case yet. How it'll go down fully, I don't know. But I know at some point the papacy's going to be enraged because it tells us right here. I mean, when we start connecting them with this dwelling place for demons and a prison for every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean bird. And there's a people group, a specific people group that is making this claim from Scripture. You think they're going to be happy about that? And so we continue on. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So Revelation 18 is this loud cry message given by God's covenant people who are obedient. And here we have the final invitation to come out of her, my people. God has his people everywhere. But this is the final call. Come out, lest you receive of her plagues. Friends, that's a loving God, is it not? He's not trying to trick or fool anybody. He's saying, come out. You're in a bad place. And this message as it goes around the globe the reaction, the response to this loud cry message will be the death decree. Satan's last resort to silence God's witnesses of the truth. He's tried everything he can possibly imagine. He's trying it all now. He's trying to to bring people in in whatever means he possibly can. But it comes to a point where enough is enough and he says, I have to snuff them out. Couldn't help but wonder this week why there's not a death penalty now. Well, maybe because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We don't have the character of Christ. We're not delivering the message. And so people aren't even noticing because we're just here doing our own little thing. And it says in Revelation 12, 17, 
we have this, use this in our evangelism a lot, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, God's true church, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here again, we see that it will be a commandment-keeping people who will be giving this loud cry message that will infuriate the papacy, infuriate the devil. And here in Revelation 12, 17, it's also implying there's a death decree when it says the dragon went to make war. Usually we use this text to show that God's end times church will have two characteristics, that they'll keep the commandments of God, all 10, right? And secondly, they'll have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then we point to Revelation 19, 10, where it says very plainly, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, And so we say the end time church will follow all 10 commandments, have the spirit of prophecy. And that's all true. But the final fulfillment of the dragon being enraged with the woman, making war with the rest of her offspring will ultimately be seen in the death decree where he tries to destroy God's last day church. Let's just snuff them out. How can we make them go away? How can we make the message stop? And so we need to put that on our list too, Revelation 12, 17, where the dragon is enraged with a woman and went to make war with the remnant. But there's one more, and that's in Daniel chapter 11. This is also, can be anyway, a complicated chapter in scripture, oftentimes misinterpreted and misunderstood. And we've looked at this before, and I don't know, we are gonna try and go through and explain everything like we did Last time, but we're going to start in Daniel now. Chapter 11, verse 40 through 45. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. And at that time of the end, when's this time? Time of the end. The king of the south. Now that was Egypt, but here it's symbolically talking about secular humanism and humanistic culture. Those who are opposed to religion, just like Egypt was, but now it's symbolic. So that's the king of the south. Shall attack him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. So the king of the north is the papacy. We're speaking everything in relationship to Jerusalem, but it's symbolic here. And it says, shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horses, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. And then verse 41, it says, and he, this is the king of the north, this is the papacy, shall also enter the glorious land. Why is he entering the glorious land? And where is the glorious land? The glorious land is none other than Jerusalem. It's God's people. Symbolically, it's God's people. It's not the literal Jerusalem anymore, but these are... He's entering into God's people, and why is he entering? With the sole purpose to conquer and overthrow them. And then if you skip down to verse 44, it says, but news from the east. What news? This is the loud cry message. News from the east that Jesus is coming, and the north shall trouble him, therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Friends, that's the death decree which again parallels all of these other verses that we looked at. And going back here then, right after it says this in verse 44, they went with great fury to destroy and annihilate many, the death decree. Verse 45 says, and he shall plant the tents, this is he, the papacy, the king of the north, shall plant tents or tabernacles, it might say in your translation, 
tabernacle being a religious building, if you will, or religion, of his palace. This is more representative of the state. So we have church and state. Between the seas, representing people, you have Jerusalem being between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, between all the people. So he, the papacy, shall plant church and state, if you will, between the people and the glorious holy mountain, God's people. But here's the good news. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So if we were to summarize Daniel 11 and these five verses, in verse 41, kings of the north entering the glorious land. That's the beginning phases of the Sunday law. In verse 43, the king of the north having power over treasures of silver and gold. That's where no man can buy or sell. If we continue on, verse 44, it says in response to the loud cry message, the king of the north goes out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. That is the death decree. And again, why? Because the power of the latter reign and the power of the loud cry is unstoppable and because it's preventing Satan, who has given his power, seat, and authority of the papacy from gaining control over the whole world. So he will be enraged and infuriated by the remnant, God's covenant people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. He will be enraged. And he'll do all he can to bring about and enforce this death decree. So you have each of these references talking about the same thing. But here's the good news. Let your eyes drop down now to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, where we read, at that time. At what time? At the time we were just talking about. At the time of the death decree, at the time he's trying to snuff out God's people, at the time he's invading the glorious land. At that time, it says, Michael shall stand up. Friends, that's the close of probation when Michael stands up. This is not some Middle East crisis. It's not some issue in Jerusalem in response to some radical Islamic group. No, this is Michael standing up in response to the death decree in which God's people are surrounded by the king of the north, the papacy, and the whole world or the seas. So in Satan's final act of desperation to stop the loud cry message of going forth, he brings about his death decree. But before the day comes to wipe out all of God's people, Michael, or Christ, stands up. And what happens at this moment? What does Michael say when he stands up? And we can read about what he says in Revelation 22, verse 11. And he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. These are the words coming from the most holy place of the sanctuary. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And so when the death decree is given, Michael will stand up in response to the death decree and probation will close for the world. At that point, the cases have all been decided and those who are righteous will remain righteous and those who are wicked will remain wicked and this is the close of probation. Review and Herald. November 19, 1908, Article A. She wrote two articles that day. But this quote is talking about this very time. It says, wonderful events are soon to open before the world. The end of all things is at hand. The time of trouble is about to come upon the people of God. Then it is that the decree will go forth forbidding those who keep the Sabbath of the Lord to buy or sell and threatening them with punishment and even death if they do not observe the first day of the week as the Sabbath. 
Here we see some of the phases of the Sunday law, don't we? Ultimately leading to the death decree. And this leads to the close of probation. And notice the next paragraph of this quote. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth from the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble which as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be, what's the word? Maybe we should read it again. And at that time thy people shall be? delivered everyone that shall be found written in the book of life because friends we're not just playthings of the devil and if somebody dies before the close of probation it might be a witness for somebody else to come across the line but once probation has closed once everyone has made up their minds one way or the other there's no more death of God's people he said enough is enough By this we will see the importance of having our names written in the book of life. All whose names are registered there will be delivered from Satan's power and Christ will command that their filthy garments be removed and that they be clothed with his righteousness. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And in that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And we'll see next time, it's not that he takes us out of the tribulation, but he protects us through that time. Just like the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace weren't delivered from the fiery furnace, but we're not going anywhere. How is this happening? God's saying, I'll spare them. And so again, Michael stands up in Daniel chapter 12, not to some Middle East regional conflict in Daniel 11, but rather when we carefully look at this in Daniel 11, 44 and 45, and we look at the spirit prophecy, we see it speaking about a death decree for God's faithful Seventh-day Adventists who will not observe the first day of the week as the Sabbath and they continue to worship on the true Seventh-day Sabbath and they're giving this loud cry message saying, come out of her, my people. Sunday worship is the mark of the beast. Come out of her. Don't receive of her plagues. And this infuriates the papacy. And now they institute a death decree. They plant the tabernacle of their palace, the union of church and state between the seas, all the people of the world. And the glorious holy mountain, God's people, and in great fury tried to destroy and annihilate many. This is the death decree. And in response, Michael stands up. Amen. The Bible's clear on that. Statements of spirit prophecy are clear on that. And so if we're looking for a Middle East conflict right before Michael stands up, I'm afraid we're going to be missing something. Because if that were the case, the Bible would make that plain. Spirit of prophecy would flesh that out, but it's not there. However, when we look at it in this fashion, all of these pieces support the same thing. Repetition and enlargement. Here's another quotation in support. This is from Great Controversy 604. Fearful is the issue to which the world is to be brought. The powers of earth uniting to war against the commandments of God will decree that all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, shall conform to the customs of the church by the observance of the false Sabbath. All who refuse compliance will be visited with civil penalties and it will finally be declared that they are deserving of death. So you can see in this quotation that those who don't go along with the Sunday law will eventually be declared deserving of death. But for those that think they can avoid the death penalty, look what it says will happen to them. And continue with this quote. On the other hand, the law of God and 
join the Creator's rest day demands obedience and threatens wrath against all who transgress its precepts. With the issue thus clearly brought before him, whoever shall trample upon God's law to obey a human enactment receives the mark of the beast. He accepts the sign of allegiance to the power which he chooses to obey instead of God. And we'll see next time that when the plagues fall, it's not so much that God's angry and, and fire bolts are coming out of his fingers as much as he's, sent, he's drawing back and he's letting them go through the, the person that they paid their allegiance to. The person that said he could deliver them from all of these things and provide financial security and, and physical security and all these other forms of security cannot deliver. Only God can deliver those things. The warning from heaven is if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark on his forehead or on his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation according to the three angels' message. So those who receive the mark of the beast initially think they're going to save themselves. But they'll eventually have the wrath of God or the seven last plagues poured upon them. Friends, I don't want to be part of that group. I want to be faithful to the Lord. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to follow man's law that contradicts the straight reading of God's word. Even if it appears by all things around me that that is the safe way to go, the Bible tells me it's not the safe way to go and it will lead to my own destruction. But all around us, we see people pivoting away from God's word, ripping out pages of scripture, saying that is not inspired. I don't follow that. I'm not a Christian that believes in that. To make it more palatable to the social pressures and the social norms that exist, All around us, God's word, I believe, is being undermined. Here's a few examples. What does this say? New rules making North Carolina schools discuss racism. And some are opposed to the idea. This is from Washington Post, February 5, 2021. This is like two months ago. And it may sound good on the outside, but if you do some digging of what's in the bill... In fact, I I sent in the newsletter yesterday some links, but you probably can find most of them on your own, but they're there. And so it requires students in our public schools, now not our private schools, yet, have mercy, but they are requiring in all North Carolina public schools that they're going to talk more about racism, discrimination, and oh, while we're talking about racism and discrimination, let's just go ahead and talk about LGBTQ and gender identity And so it's already been voted in the state of North Carolina that there's books and there's curriculum created to help our pre-K discover that there's other families out there besides the traditional family. Of course, we're not going to use that word. That some families have two dads, some have two moms. Some do it this way, some do it that way. And as it progresses on down through the curriculum, you have the option to decide Are you a boy? Are you a girl? It's up to you. I was talking to somebody. They said, good thing I didn't have that choice as a little girl at five years old. She says, I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to climb those trees. I wanted to play in the mud puddles. But we're going to let a five-year-old make that decision on their own? Look at what they're basing some of this on. The World Health Organization says it this way, that gender identity refers to a person's deeply felt internal and individual experience of gender, which may or may not correspond to the person's physiology or designated sex at birth, meaning there's a conflict. 
The new curriculum says it's critical to recognize that every individual has a gender identity. And so during this pre-K to 12 years, every young person needs to be presented with various options in regard to their deeper understanding of their own gender identity. And we're going to require it in public schools. So if you're a Baptist Christian, a Methodist, whatever Christian out there, and your kids are in public schools, now you have a problem. If you're the principal of our Seventh-day Adventist elementary school, now you have a problem too. Because every Baptist and Methodist and everybody else who learns of all this and starts to see what's going on is paying any attention to what their kids are going to be taught, are going to be knocking on our door and say, we need spaces for all of our kids in this entire community. We're praying for you, Sarah. (laughs) More than that, we're there for you. We'll back you up. Where does all this stuff lead? I mean, this is old news. This happened in 2012. Gabriel Ludwig was 56 feet, 6 inches, 230 pounds, formerly known as Robert. He was married. He was in the Navy, all these other things. But then he decided that things were going to change, and so now he identifies as a woman and also a younger woman, and he's on the the basketball team and, and, you know, this gender dysphoria and all of that. Does this make sense? I'm not trying to make light of his situation. Everyone is a child of the king. Isn't it true? And we're all sinners in need of a savior. But when you start going from this is not okay to this is fine, that I have a problem with. God always loves people. They're his kids. And you always love your kids too. But you don't always love everything your kid chooses to do. Why? Because it's not in their best interest. You know where it's going to lead and it doesn't look pretty. Maybe you saw this in the news. This was uh, March 3, 2021. And uh, Christian Headlines is where this one's published, but it's in other places. The Equality Act, you've heard a little bit about that, would require our faith-based hospitals and insurers to have to provide gender transition therapies. Anybody have problems with that? That violate their religious beliefs? Children under this act could seek to change their gender without parental knowledge or consent. Any parents have a problem with that? Faith-based adoption and foster care agencies could be forced to place children with same-sex couples or lose their licenses. The act would dismantle sex-specific facilities such as locker rooms and bathrooms. So I can just go into any women's locker room now and say, well, I'm identifying today as... Anyway. So when this was being talked about, A representative from Florida spoke up on the House floor and was reading from Scripture and how this contradicts what the Bible has to say until finally an exasperated Nadler responded, God's will is no concern of this Congress. And this is just, when was it? March 3? It's a little concerning. I think of this verse. In fact, Judy Bailey texted me this morning. I appreciate you all helping me write my sermon. You're not helping me make it shorter, but anyway. Here's the quote. It says, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil. Have you seen that? Sounds a little bit like the woes in Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Well, the professionals have said, the World Health Organization has said, 
Woe to men who take away justice from the righteous man. Are they taking away our justice? I don't feel that any of these groups should not have equal rights under the law. But how come their rights are now able to step on my rights? They don't have to agree with me, but I have to agree with them. Friends, something is backwards here. How about this? This is June 6, 2019, so I guess you could say this is old news. Our Father, Pope Francis, approves changes to words of Lord's Prayer, report says. Is that something we can just do? I thought it was the Lord's Prayer. Here's another one. This is from October 21 of last year. Uh, the Washington Post It says, what Pope Francis comments about gay families could mean for LGBTQ people worldwide. The article states that the Pope's words don't just show support of the creation of civil unions, but it was his embrace of same-sex couples as part of a family unit. Saying this is okay. And of course, LGBTQ are like, yay! Or this one was just this year, March 2, just last month, 2021, in the Catholic News Agency, It says, Pope Francis, world could face a new great flood. What is shocking is how fragrantly he disregards clear Bible truth. What does your Bible say in regards to another worldwide flood? It will never happen. It's this thing called the rainbow. But what's shocking is that he can just disregard Bible truth and he never seems to get called on it. Why? Because the majority of people are never reading this book. They don't know what's in here. I mean, Noah and the ark, isn't that pretty basic? Not anymore. It's just a fairy tale. Jack and the beanstalk, Noah ark, they're all one and the same. Have mercy. And God's word is being trampled underfoot by social pressures. Like a tidal wave, we see people caving to social pressures. Whoever talks the loudest, Oh boy, dare I bring up the COVID vaccine? (laughs) Fauci says military who refuse COVID-19 vaccine are part of the problem after a high rate of service members refuse jab. This is in CNBC to the right, January 14, 2021. No vaccine, no service. How vaccinations may affect travel plans in the future. Here's a few more. February 3, 2021, CNBC says, can colleges make students get COVID vaccines? Here's what experts say. I didn't read that article. I'm wondering who the experts are. November 17, 2020, John Hopkins saying there's already, or what is the headline? Can COVID-19 vaccines be mandatory in the U.S.? And who decides? And then underneath there it says that there's already a precedent for mandatory vaccinations. Science Supreme Court case in 1905 relating to a smallpox outbreak in Massachusetts. Now, I have to be careful here. To be clear, I'm not making any case. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not making any case or recommendation for or against the vaccine. Are we clear on that? I know many have gotten it and are rejoicing. I know others who are dead set against it. And I know there are still others that are on the fence. And I'm not seeking to enter into that debate this morning at all. What I am saying is that there is a social pressure that is real. That's what I'm saying. And we see that all around us. And my question is, 
does social pressure dictate what you should or should not do? Do we just do things based on social pressure? From a human standpoint, we all have this natural mechanism of self-preservation, don't we? And we want to do whatever will preserve our life and to avoid that which will cause loss to our lives or anything else. So take what you have going on in society today, the pressures from the LGBTQ community, the pressures from the transgender community, the pressures regarding social justice, the pressures regarding the vaccine, and multiply it by 100, maybe even 1,000. And at the end, when the entire world is against us, blaming us on the news, shaming us with tweets, making memes about us, marching in the streets, and we can no longer buy or sell, and we can no longer support our families. And if we cannot sustain our life, every fiber in our being is going to say, just go along, just compromise, just save yourself. Don't allow yourself to lose your existence or that of your wife or your children over something that seems so arbitrary and so silly. It's just a day. But friends, I believe there'll be a group of people at the end that as they face death in regards to the Bible Sabbath, by the grace of God, they will remain faithful. And by God's grace, may we be part of that group. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to to death. Friends, God's faithful people at the end of the world will not love their lives. They'll be willing to give them up, rather, for God and his purposes. They'll be faithful even when faced with death, a death decree, the loss of everything that they have. And how will they be able to do that? Because they died to self a long time ago. They died to all the stuff a long time ago. They died to the social pressures of the world a long time ago. And they said, I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What more can man do to me? I'm already dead. There'll be a group of people that will say it's okay. And they won't be dramatic about it. They won't be ranting and raving like I'm doing up here today. They'll just say, here's where I stand. I can do no other. Do what you need to do. And I'm going to do what I need to do. Here's your gun or whatever it is. Here's your chopping block, your sword. You know, do what you got to do. Great Controversy 635. When the protection of human laws shall be withdrawn from those who honor the law of God, there will be in different lands a simultaneous movement for their destruction. As the time appointed in the decree draws near, the people will conspire to root out the hated sect. That's us. It will be determined to strike in one night a decisive blow which shall utterly silence the voice of dissent and reproof. Why death? It says to silence dissent and reproof. Continues on, the people of God, some in prison cells, some hidden in solitary retreats in the forests and the mountains still plead for divine protection. While in every quarter, companies of armed men urged on by hosts of evil angels are preparing for the work of death. But here comes the incredibly good news. It is now in the hour of utmost extremity that the God of Israel will interpose 
for the deliverance of his chosen. Praise the Lord. Now we have a whole entire sermon talking about the deliverance of God's people as we come to the conclusion of this series, and I can't wait to get there, but a little spoiler alert. The quotation just laid it out. When there's a death decree, there will be a time set to destroy God's people. I imagine similar to the days of Queen Esther when a decree was made that set a date for the destruction of God's people. You remember this story? And at the end of time, when there is a death decree, there will be a date set for the destruction of God's people. But just like the days of old, in what seemed like a hopeless situation, God's people will be delivered. But make no mistake about it. It will be a trying and testing time for the people of God because everything around us is going to say, I don't think this is going to work. I don't see how this is going to happen. I don't see where it's going to come from. But by faith, I know in what I have believed in. And the God who is able to protect me. Continuing with shouts of triumph, jeering, and imprecation, that is cursing. Throngs of evil men are about to rush upon their prey when, lo, a dense blackness, deeper than the darkness of the night, falls upon the earth. Then a rainbow, shining with the glory from the throne of God, spans the heavens and seems to encircle each praying company. Then the angry multitudes are suddenly arrested. Their mocking cries die away. The objects of their murderous rage are forgotten. With fearful forebodings, they gaze upon the symbol of God's covenant and long to be shielded from its overpowering brightness. Friends, that's incredible good news. Because social pressures will mount, political pressures will mount, judicial pressures will mount, and when it seems utterly hopeless for God's people, Michael stands up. Jesus stands up and God's people will be delivered. Praise the Lord. So a little timeline briefly here. We have the death decree enacted and that really marks the close of probation. And then we have the seven last plagues begin to fall and in there Jacob's time of trouble begins. And so in the seven last plagues, that's when it starts to become clear who is on the side of Christ and who is sided with the world, who's been faithful to the Lord, who has compromised who's received the mark of the beast, and who's received the seal of God. And of course, we'll have some idea before then because we'll be able to see people filled with the Holy Spirit giving this loud cry message, right? Versus those that are falling away and joining Sunday worship and so on. But with the seven last plagues, when they start, it'll be very clear who is on God's side. And it's also during those seven last plagues that Jacob's time of trouble begins. And this is a very trying time for God's people because they've already faced martyrdom. They've gone through this inability to buy or sell. And now they find themselves in mental and spiritual anguish of knowing that probation has closed and wondering if they have asked forgiveness for every known sin. Are they truly ready to meet Jesus in the clouds? And it's this time of wrestling. And we'll talk more about that next time, but we will see that God's people are delivered at the end of Jacob's time of trouble at the end of the seven last plagues. Volume 5, the testimony is 2.13. We're almost done. Y'all get a gold medal. When this time of trouble comes, every case is decided. There's no longer probation, no longer mercy for the impenitent. The seal of the living God is upon his people. Continuing, this small remnant unable to defend themselves in the deadly conflict with the powers of earth that are marshaled by the dragon host, make God their defense. 
Friends, that's your only safe defense. The decree has been passed by the highest earthly authority that they shall worship the beast and receive his mark under pain of persecution and death. And so when the death decree comes, there's no longer probation, there's no longer mercy. The seal of the living God is upon his people. Early writings, page 36, says, I saw the four angels would hold the four winds until Jesus' work was done in the sanctuary, and then will come the seven last plagues. These plagues enraged the wicked against the righteous. They thought that we had brought the judgments of God upon them, that if they could rid the earth of us, the plagues would be stayed. A decree went forth to slay the saints, which caused them to cry day and night for deliverance. This was the time of Jacob's trouble. And so we see that it's a response, this death decree of the loud cry. But then we see here again, it's also the response of the plagues being poured out. And so everybody is piling on and saying, it's your fault, it's you, it's you. And the social pressure will mount. I want to ask the simple question of all this that we've gone through. What's the point? Like, why do I need to know all this? Well, the point is that social pressure is mounting and that someday it will be focused like a laser on the Sabbath issue and on the Bible truth. And the force against us, I believe, will be unimaginable. And what's the point? Point is, when that day comes, have we learned how to place our full trust in Jesus? Because that's not the time to take trusting in Jesus 101. It's just not the time. Oh, some will be coming in at the last moment. Yeah, but they've already, in my opinion, learned how to trust Jesus. They've just got a few of the things mixed up. But now when they see that it's in God's word, and when they see that that's what God gave to his servants, the prophets, they'll say, okay, no problem. But have we learned to trust Jesus today? Or are we just learning to pivot, to bend, to acquiesce, to give the people whatever they want, to be a chameleon? Why? Well, it's just easier. I don't have to upset anybody. Yeah, good luck with that. Review and Herald, January 19, 1864. You will receive more strength. This was shared to me by Pastor Hyman's son, Jacob, sent it to his mama. I don't know why I didn't send it to his daddy. Maybe sent it to both of you, but Teresa's the one that shared it with me. And it's a beautiful quote. It says, you'll receive more strength by spending one hour each day in meditation and mourning over your failings and heart corruptions and pleading for God's pardoning love and the assurance of his sins forgiven. We haven't finished the sentence. More strength doing these things than what? Let's go to the next part of this verse. Than you would by spending many hours and days in studying the most able authors and making yourself acquainted with every objection to our faith and the most powerful evidences of, in favor of our faith. What is she saying? That we shouldn't worry about objections? That we shouldn't show ourselves, study to show ourselves approved? That we shouldn't have evidence for our faith? Not at all. I believe what she's saying is that in the final conflict, none of that will pull you through. But rather, the thing that will pull you through is when you get more strength by spending one hour each day in meditation on his word, mourning over your failings and heart corruptions. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Without you, I can do nothing. I need the fruits of the spirit. I can't produce them by myself. And we're wrestling with God day in and day out. And in that hour of meditation, 
in that time of pleading our hearts to God and the assurance of our sins forgiven, we are brought closer to the Savior so that when the pressure comes, I have a chart right here. It's not gonna pull you through. It's gonna be that connection with Christ that will pull you through. It doesn't hurt to know what to expect. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given it to us. But woe to you and me if we put our faith and trust in the charts instead of Jesus Christ. I believe it's good to study these things. But at the end of the day, it's not enough to know chronology. It's not enough to know the different stages of the Sunday law. It's not enough to know when the little time of trouble begins and when Jacob's time of trouble begins. It's not enough to know where the death decree fits, where the seven last plagues fit. If we don't know Jesus as our best friend, if we don't have a childlike faith in our Lord, if we are not thick with the Almighty, only by the grace of God, then there's no way we'll make it through that time. But friends, if we know Jesus, what it was that Martin Luther said, the more I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But the more I look at Jesus, I don't see how I can be lost. Yeah. Friends, when we know Jesus, when we learn to trust Jesus, if now in every trial and every challenge we look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, he will bring us through. And so friends, now is the time. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of social pressures to pivot, in the midst of polarization, in the midst of natural disaster and famine and disease, in the midst of worldliness on every side, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to draw closer and still closer to our Savior. Now is the time to ask him to purge out the things in my life that are hindering him from doing what he wants to do in my heart. Now is the time to give my all to him and to spread the three angels' message far and wide. Friends, I believe Jesus' coming is very near that it's even at the door and that things will break upon this world as an overwhelming surprise. But today, but today's the day to spend that thoughtful hour and to do it today and today and today until he comes in the clouds of glory. That by his grace, we may be strengthened by his word for the trials ahead. And if that's your desire this morning, finally, you thought I'd never say it, I'm gonna invite you to stand and by standing, you're saying, Lord, I'm in desperate need of you. I'm in desperate need of your love and your grace, your forgiveness, your power. And by standing, you are committing to spend time each day in his word, to spending time each day in prayer, that by his grace alone, we may stand. Dear Heavenly Father, we've gone through some heavy stuff today, and I don't know if I was able to make it clear or not. But Lord, the bottom line is there's some major things coming down the pike and you have told us so that we could be prepared. Lord, help us. The only way we can prepare is not by drumming up more willpower, but it's claiming Christ's power. It's not in our own capabilities, but it's in your capabilities. It's not what we can do, it's what you can do. And so it's starting each and every day on our knees saying, Lord, 
Help me to be the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that you have called me to be for these times. Help me to learn what it means to stand for you so that when the winds blow and the pressure mounts, that with the peace that you have placed in our hearts, we won't be fearful, we don't have to be afraid, but we can say, I'm gonna stand on God's word. Because truly, in every experience of our own lives to this point, we have seen time and time again that's the only safe place to be. So Lord, help us by your grace to stand on your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.